From Walden Media comes The Giver. In a world where God, free will, and love were outlawed, one person would learn the truth and risk his life to restore what had been lost based on the book The Giver. Rated PG-13. Parents strongly cautioned. In theaters August 15th. Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to anywhere that you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazzwell Report. Napoleon Hill once said, what the mind can conceive, it can achieve. And these days we're surrounded by preachers, inspirational gurus and motivational speakers who tell us the same thing Napoleon Hill said. Yet, why do so many of us fail to be better than who we are and who we want to be, whether it's your weight? your career, your personality, or your status, there is always something within us that wants to be more. And maybe that's a good thing because every vision in life needs to have a mission. My next guest is Scott Schmaron. He was once overweight, and when he made up his mind to lose weight, he lost a mind-boggling 180 pounds. This achievement led him to great fame, and he's since been on The Oprah Winfrey Show, The Howard Stern Show, and has co-written a book with the likes of Deepak Chopra and Jack Canfield called Stepping Stones to Success. But today's show is not about what you do with your body. It's about what you do with your mind. That in turn affects the body. In technical terms, Scott is a neuroperformanceologist, but to me, he's simply amazing because he just doesn't talk the talk, he walks the talk. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you having me here. Well, so your biggest claim to fame at the moment is that you lost 180 pounds. The big question, and no pun intended, how did you do it? How did I do that? Mm. Well, I you know, it started by me changing my mind. You know, right. I grew up as a fat kid. And when I say I was the fat kid when I grew up, I was really the fat kid. And um, people teased me and made fun of me. Mm. And I spent my life sitting in front of the TV set in the refrigerator eating and getting heavier. And I was bullied and made fun of. And the more I was teased... The more I withdrew and the more I ate, the more I ate, the more I got upset. And I had this perpetual cycle where I got heavier and heavier, and I perceived myself that that was being safe and normal. And I got to the point in my life, there were times when I was a kid in school. I remember in gym class every year they used to weigh us in. And I was always the last kid to get weighed in because I was the heaviest kid in the class, and the teacher always weighed us from the lightest to the heaviest kid. And it would be the same thing every year. All the kids at the end of the period would be at the one side of the gym, and I'd be by myself because I was the only one that hadn't been weighed in. And they'd call out my name, and everybody would just cheer and laugh. And i put on the big fake smile on my face, even though I was crying on the inside. And I'd go up there, and I'd weigh in. So at what point did you decide enough is enough, and I've got to start losing weight? And how heavy were you at that time? Well, I was an adult. And um, still suffered the same amount of pain. I'm real tall. I'm five foot six. At the time, I weighed 360 pounds. I had a 56-inch waist. I was almost as big around as I was tall. And I couldn't stand the pain anymore. I mean, it was embarrassing to go sit on an airplane and have to ring the bell and ask the flight attendant to give you a seatbelt extender, and everybody would turn around and look at you like you were some monster. And at one point, I just felt I had no self-worth, and I decided I didn't want to live anymore. And I remember taking a bottle of sleeping pills, and painkillers and putting them into a Dixie cup 
and taking that paper cup and going to my bathroom and putting it on the bathroom counter. And I looked in the mirror and I saw nothing. Nothing was looking back at me. So I took all the pills. I remember going to sit in my chair that I used to watch TV and hide from the world from. And I passed out for a long time. And I remember opening my eyes in the morning. And it was morning because the sun was shining through my living room window. And I had a tremendous sense of peace. And I really can't describe it in words, but I thought that I was dead. It was that peaceful. Mm. And then I realized I was alive. And then it hit me for the first time in my life. I realized that I was responsible for my life. Nobody else was responsible for me being heavy. No one else was responsible for me being angry and frustrated with the world and not liking myself and withdrawing. It was my responsibility. And when I had that epiphany, I began to cry. And I remember crying tears of pain because of what I had done to myself, but tears of joy realizing for the first time in my life that I had purpose and meaning and that I was here for a reason, that I should have been dead. So I got out of my chair, and I made a decision. I made a decision that I was going to be different. I made a decision that I would change my life. I'm here for a reason. I'm here for a purpose. I need to do something with myself. So I created this vision in my mind of who I wanted to be and what I wanted to be. And the first goal I set for myself was to be able to go out in public and not be noticed for being the fat guy. Right. And I did that. And then I wanted more. I wanted to do all the things I'd never done in my life. There were so many things I missed out on. Simple things. Hiding, because either I couldn't go to an amusement park and fit into a roller coaster seat because I was too big. I, there were so many things I either avoided or couldn't do that I wanted to do. I was so much living, I wanted to live. And I created this vision in my mind that I have and maintain easily for the rest of my life a strong, healthy, lean, attractive, youthful body weighing 175 pounds or less. And today at 52, I've been like that for a long time. In fact, I weighed in this morning at 172 pounds. Um, I live the life that I created in my vision. And I've committed my life to helping people every day discover how amazing they are. And no. that's my mission and that's my, my goal in life. Now, losing weight is one achievement, but the bigger achievement is keeping it off. Oh, I think it is the only achievement. I mean, you know, from my perspective, I was going to weigh 175 pounds or less, and that was going to be it for the rest of my life. So that's a lifelong thing. It doesn't, you just don't get there and stop. And understand that the same process that kept me heavy all these years, once I changed the image in my mind, is the same process that has allowed me to stay the weight I'm at right now. Same process, just used in a different way. And what did you do to lose weight? Was it exercise, diet? Well, the most important thing I did is I changed how I perceived myself. Mm -hmm. And once I, you know, when I created that image in my mind, when I weighed 360 pounds that I wanted to weigh 175, I had absolutely no idea how I was going to do that. But your subconscious mind is such a powerful tool right. that once you put that vision in your mind, it begins to work backwards and saying, well, if you're going to do this, and you've got to do this, and to do this, you've got to do this. And it takes you into the present moment, and all of a sudden, my values and my beliefs start to change. My awareness has changed. Instead of worrying about eating a whole pizza or eating a half a gallon of ice cream, I get up and I go for a walk. You start out with baby steps. The workout I do now is not what I did when I weighed 360 pounds. So it's baby steps, and you evolve, and you become more and more of that person you are going to be. So you're telling me if, if I get a vision, the roadmap of how to get there starts to come to me? 
If you have a vision, mm. regardless of what you're looking to accomplish in your life, if you have a vision of something great and amazing you want to accomplish in your life, and you believe it, accept it with blind faith that it's going to be a reality or that it is your reality now, the pieces will start to fall in place. And that holds true. You know, you, in your opening segment, you talked about Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. The same process that he talked about is having a definite major purpose, a chief aim, and focusing all your attention on it, your conscious attention, turning it over to your subconscious mind, and then turning it over to the infinite intelligence of the universe. That's well, powerful. Well, let me talk about weight. Let me use me as an example. If I want to lose weight, mm -hmm. I go through that cycle. I lose weight, I put it on. I lose weight, I put it on. Mm -hmm. um, in my mind, I must be thinking that I lose weight in order to be able to eat rubbish again. I No, I think in your mind that the weight, your heavier weight that you're at is what is your norm. And your mind accepts that as you being normal. Mm -hmm. So what happens is now you lose weight and you're going against what you believe to be true about yourself, which is that the weight you were at before is what you should be at. So you fight yourself, you go on a diet, and it's, sometimes it's tough or it starts to get tough. Mm -hmm. And at some point it says, you know what, you're not going to do this anymore. We're going back. But it doesn't say it to you that way. It speaks to you subtly. It'll say, do you know that You've been on this program for so long. You're, congratulations, you're doing a great job. Why don't you go reward yourself? Let's say you're going to a wedding. Go have a good time at the wedding. And the implication there is reward, which means what you're doing is bad. And let's say you go have a wild weekend, which is truthfully really not a big deal. Then Monday you go right back to your program, and your mind says, congratulations, you did a great job. I'm so proud of you. You went right back to your program. You know what, though? You had a good time over the weekend. You should really do this every weekend. So you start to do it every weekend, and Monday you go back to your program, and you probably don't lose any more weight. You probably don't gain any weight. And then a little bit later, your mind says, you know, if you really think about it, the weekend starts on Friday. So now Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, you're off your program. And your mind says, you know, we can rationalize that. That's four out of seven days. You're doing a really great job. And then you gain five pounds. And then your mind says, five pounds? You could lose five pounds in a week. And then it becomes 10 pounds. And then one day you open up your eyes and you're as heavy as you ever were or heavier. And that's how it happens. It's subtle. Well, you're hitting the nail on the head because I fear, personally, being consistent in my approach is, or I fear the, being consistent because if I change my life, I feel I'm going to be depriving myself of all the goodies I can eat. Mm -hmm. And... I guess I fear that sort of success in, in weight loss because that means compromise and sacrifice. Mm -hmm. That That's my biggest fear, I think, of being consistent. Well, your consistency and your fear of being consistent comes from the fact that... How comes you from, are I'm sorry? Right now. Your, your fear in, of being consistent mm. and changing comes from the fact that you see yourself as the weight, your heavier weight. And it, so it says to you, well, you're not going to be able to eat the things you like anymore, which is not true. I eat things that I like all the time. I don't have to eat a lot of them. I don't have to eat them all the time, but I can still eat them. You know, if you like chocolate cake, to say the fact that you're never going to have chocolate cake again is a ridiculous proposition because at some point you're going to, and if you've committed to never having it again, when you do have it, you're going to consider yourself a failure, and you're going to throw all the hard work you did down the toilet. So the reality is, the fear you have in your mind is your mind telling you that you they really doesn't want to do this. So it comes up with the reasons why you're afraid, um, and it comes up with the reasons why it's a bad thing, like you're never going to be able to have the things you want to have again, which is not true. 
So I've talked in previous shows about fear of failure, and we're, I'm, I'm used to that. I, I fail every day. Mm-hmm. But it's the fear of success. It is the fear of success. Do, your, do, do you see your clients have a fear of success? Oh, I think that almost all of them have a fear of success. It's not a fear of failure. Mm-hmm. I work with people for lots of things, from top-level athletes to business people to people that are overcoming physical challenges in their life. And it's not a fear of failure that they have. It's a fear that they might actually do something, and they don't know how to handle it when they're going to do it. It's the same thing you see when somebody wins who has, who's poor who wins a lottery, and they win millions and millions of dollars, and they can't handle it. So what happens with happening? They end up losing the money because it's not something they're used to having. It's not something they accept as the truth about themselves, and they don't think they're worthy of it, so they get rid of it, so to speak. Is that because they have a lack of vision of success? It's because they have a lack of a vision of not being worthy of, that, of, of, of having that much income or that much money. Mm-hmm. And they don't see themselves that way. So your mind does what it does best. You see that in the entertainment business. You see people come from nothing, have huge success, and then they spend most of their time sabotaging it, losing their money, drugs, alcohol. Sometimes they even have to kill themselves because they, they can't deal with it. Like, all the time. Now, you're a certified hypnotist. I am a certified, yes. How does that work? How does that work? I, I, I took a lot of classroom training to do that, to learn the basic skills, and then I've developed um, more skills on top of that and some other modalities that I use and some that I've developed to help people make change. Well, what's the objective of hypnosis? Because I've, I've sort of heard you on the Howard Stern show, mm-hmm. and it's used for comical purposes. It can be. But you know, is there a more serious aspect of it that can be used for? Oh, it's totally. I mean, yeah, what I do on a show like that is totally different. What I work with my clients, all change takes place at the subconscious mind. Mm-hmm. So the hypnosis is a very, very powerful tool that allows you to access the subconscious mind with conscious awareness to affect change. You don't make change in your conscious mind. You make short-term changes that are usually temporary. Long-term permanent changes happen in your subconscious mind. So it's bridging the two. It's bridging the two. Um, even most of the other modalities, like neuro-linguistic programming, um, the creators of that have always said that the subconscious mind is the most powerful access point into the, or the hypnosis is the most powerful access point into the subconscious mind. How does one access the subconscious mind? Well, through the hypnotic state, I mean, the hypnotic state is the same as the meditative state or the dreaming state. You're you're accessing your subconscious mind when you daydream during the day or when you get lost with your imagination in a magnificent movie or a book. You're accessing the creative part of your mind, which is your subconscious mind. You lose track of time. You lose track of everything around you. It really is. It's not a mystical, magical thing. People have these negative connotations to it. It's really a a very mono-focused state of mind. In other words, you're directing all of your attention to one thing and letting the rest of the world fade out into the background. An athlete performing in the zone, as we call it, Mm -hmm. is performing in a totally wake hypnotic state. They're focused on what they're doing, they're at their best, and everything else in the world does not exist. So if I was to come to you and, and sit down with you and say, you know what, help me access my subconscious state, mm-hmm. what would be the first three steps that you would tell me to do? Well, the three steps, here's what we do. We would sit down and have a conversation, just like you and I are having right now. Right. And I want to ask you a lot of questions because I want to know what makes 
VIP tick. Mm-hmm. What makes him tick? What's interesting to him? What's not interesting to him? And then out of that, I'm going to construct something. I'm going to have you access your subconscious mind. And always the first step I take with a client is we work on getting rid of their limiting values and beliefs that get in the way of them. Give me examples of what a limiting value or belief could be. Well, like you just said a little while ago, that for you to lose weight, you have to give up things and you have to sacrifice and not have certain things. Mm -hmm. That's a limiting belief. I don't believe that to be true. But it's the way you rationalize not doing this successfully. So we were going to access those things mm-hmm. and let you get rid of them. Okay. And then, and then we can start the process of creating a new vision for yourself of what you want to look like, how you want to feel, how you want to live your life, and then really make it real in your subconscious mind. Your subconscious mind is a magnificent, all-powerful king or queen. It'll give you whatever you give it. In other words, you give it something with purpose and conviction, you'll say, okay, it's true. We're going to start doing this, this, and this. You start becoming aware of things to make it happen. However, it does have the mentality of a two-year-old. It takes everything literally. So if you give it something very negative to do, it'd be happy to do that for you too and then rationalize why it's good. Okay, so I'm sitting with you. You go and dismantle my belief system Mm -hmm. and you look through it and then you analyze. What's the next? Well, what's next? And that'll be, because we're talking about how do we get in touch with the subconscious. That's the well, critical matter here. How to get, if you want to get in touch with your subconscious mind, you need to take some time by yourself. Mm-hmm. And the easiest way for the average person to access their subconscious mind is to simply find a quiet place, close their eyes, and just focus their attention on their breathing. Just slowly breathing in, breathing out, and relaxing. And when you start to breathe in deeply and exhale out, you actually induce what's called the relaxation response. Your mind begins to slow down. And just do that for a few minutes and practice it. It's a skill. And then once you've done it for a while, you can slow yourself down a little bit, then start to talk to yourself when you're in in your subconscious mind. The other thing you can do to access your subconscious mind, it's a little bit slow and takes time. It's part of the process I use with people. And neuroscience supports this now. We believe that what we write in our own handwriting is true, whether it is or isn't, is immaterial. Not typing it out on the computer, but actually pen to paper. Pen to paper in your handwriting. We believe that what we write in our own hand is true. So start writing out the things you want to be true about yourself. Right. Makes sense. And start rereading it and rewriting it. And that repetition over day over days will make a difference. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what happens after that? Um, you keep doing it again every day. Repetition is the mother of all success. Writing out the same things every day. I've been doing it for years. I write out a page and a half every day of all the things I'm affirming about that are true about me. My vision, my goals, my dreams, the character traits I want to have. I write them out every day. I haven't missed a day in years. It's one of the most powerful processes I do every day. It's the same process we use to get our bad habits. Now, before you write it out, are you going into that relaxing mode where you're sort of deeply breathing? I do it right in the morning when I'm getting up. So here... Napoleon Hill talked about 
all these very highly successful people and think they can grow rich. Mm-hmm. They had a common trait is every night before they, when they were lying in bed getting ready to fall asleep, they all focused on their chief fame with a definite major purpose in life. They focused on it. So what were they doing? They were already slowing down their minds, getting ready for sleep, because that's what your mind does. And they're already in their subconscious mind. They're approaching the sleeping, dreaming state. And then they're turning that idea over to their subconscious mind. So it's the same thing when you get up in the morning. You're kind of half asleep, but you still brush your teeth, you brush your hair, you do whatever you're going to do in the morning. Perfect time to do that. And you can do it in a fully awake state. I, like, I'm flying to New York. I'm in an enclosed environment on the airplane. I've got some time to kill. I'll go right out for more. And I'll read, and I'll meditate, and I'll take myself into a relaxed state. You also had something where you induce positive thoughts into yourself. I'm sorry? You had in your book, The Stepping Stones to Success, a process where after you write it out, then you actually start believing in it. Purposely. Yes. I mean, you you know, as I'm writing, here's the reason why writing things out is so so powerful. You're You're actually using a lot of different modalities. You're physically holding on to a pen or a pencil, mm-hmm. and you can actually physically feel yourself writing it out. You can see yourself writing it out on the paper, and most people, when they're writing, they're reading it in their mind or they're reading it out loud so they can hear the words. So you can see it, hear it, and feel it, and you're, you're, you're getting all those major modalities in there, and you're engaging your mind. You're creating your own universe of your vision. Very good, yes. What do you do with that paper then during the day? Do you reread it in the afternoon? Sometimes. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just play it. I've written it out so many times that I can play it in my head without writing it out. I can think about it. I can see pictures. Or when I'm writing it out, I actually see the pictures of the words I'm writing. Do you, when you write these out, have you found that over time they change because maybe your values change? Absolutely. They evolve. You evolve as a person. You're different today than you were a year ago. And a year from today, you'll be different than you were today. Because I might start tomorrow and say, you know what, and the first thing that comes to mind is, oh, I want to be rich. Mm -hmm. And then over time say, no, I don't want to be rich. I want to be happy. Okay. And I would not write out, I want to be rich. I'd write out specifically what I want. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, your your subconscious mind is, like I said, is very literal. So I get people to say, well, I want to make more money than I did last year. Well, if you make a dollar more than you made last year, you satisfy that. So you got to be specific on what you want. And you always want to write out and focus on moving towards something you want, not away from something you don't want. Now, we talked about fear of success. What about fear of failure? What if you don't reach your goal? Because part of, I guess, writing it out is not only the amount, but the time by which you get it. Um, sometimes yes, sometimes no. When I work with a client, mm. we're working on weight specifically. Yeah. Uh, we don't set a time deadline because it's, it's, it's a lifelong evolutionary process. Whether, you know, you didn't get to where you were in a short period of time. So if it takes you a year, six months, two years, the goal is to... Okay, but what I'm getting at, what I'm getting at is what if there seems to be some sort of apparent failure? What, what, how do you then tell your client how to manage that situation? Well, we work on those things so those things don't happen. Um, you know, I encourage my clients to push themselves. When they create a vision, mm-hmm. as I would say to them, there's no limitations. What do you want? And so let's say I have a client that wants to make a million dollars a year. 
okay? Mm-hmm. So if they fall short and they make $900,000, would that be so terrible? Maybe not. I'd rather push them to do that than if their goal is to make $100,000 and they make ninety. And if you don't always achieve it, then it's time for you to sit back, analyze what you did and didn't do, and then readjust. Life is about adjustment. Here, I, a very, very, very successful man once said to me a long time ago when I was in my 20s, and this quote is stuck in my head forever. He said, Scott, to be successful, the minor adjustments and changes you need to make are usually so simple and basic that the average person will see them as being ridiculous. Right. They'll never do them. So here, a lot of times I'll help somebody create a vision of what they want, and they automatically think that they're just going to start on this upward soaring process towards it. Well, the reality is they may have been avoiding things in their life that they need to deal with. So now their subconscious mind accepts this vision as reality. Now, And then it says, you know, if you want to do this, we're going to do this. By the way, you need to deal with this, this, and this. And all of a sudden these things come up to the surface, and there's issues they have to deal with because it's necessary for them to move on. And then sometimes people will make the choice to be afraid and not do it, mm-hmm. or they'll push through it and have great success. In a world where God, free will, and love were outlawed, one person would learn the truth. Secrets would be revealed. The way things look and the way things are are very different. To save his world and the child who held the future, he had to risk his life. You can stop this. You can change things. To restore what had been lost. Based on the worldwide best-selling book, Meryl Streep, Jeff Bridges, The Giver. Rated PG-13. Parents strongly cautioned. In theaters August 15th. More information at Walden. Now, you've invented what's called the mind performance training. Right. Can you explain to us what that's about? Well, it's a culmination of all the things I've gone through myself. And what I noticed is all the different modalities from hypnosis to neurolinguistic programming, even forms of meditation, have commonalities. Mm. And what I've done is I've taken pieces of those things and then developed some things so people can really have a very powerful experience. You know, we all experience it a little differently. Some of us hear more than we see. Some of us see more than we hear or feel. And some of us lead with feeling first. So I get let them engage all those things. So when they're watching this incredible vision in their mind, right. they can see it, they can hear it, they can feel it, they can smell it, they can taste it. And it's beautiful and it's amazing. Now give us an example of a client that you've sort of worked on where this has worked. Yeah, you know, one of my favorite clients, and actually I'll give you her name. Her name is Nilsa Anderson. And Nilsa came to me as a bodybuilder. And she was a top amateur bodybuilder, and she had this gigantic goal. She wanted to win a national championship and become a top-level professional bodybuilder. Mm-hmm. It would mean a lot to her. She trains other fitness competitors, and it would mean a lot to her. And then the next step would be for her is it would allow her to open her own gym and start her own business. And she was always falling just short. And when I sat down with her and we talked, I realized that she really didn't have a clear vision of what winning would look like and then what would be the ramifications of her winning afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I sat down with Nilsa. I helped her create this powerful image of her winning and then what would happen afterwards, her gym opening. So, in fact, it was a little over a year ago. It was July 19th in 2013. Nilsa went to Pittsburgh and she entered a national competition. She entered in three divisions. She won all three divisions. She won three national titles and three professional titles. 
here's the interesting thing. Nilsa is 56 years old, and that has never been done. 56. 56. It's, the woman she beat in the overall competition was almost half her age. She has a daughter the same age as the woman she beat. And this June, her gym just opened, the competitor's edge. So her vision is a reality. And the only difference she did is that she was able to see it in her mind. So what did you tell her to see that she could I see? Yeah, I didn't tell her to see anything. What I told her, what I did is I guided her through and I helped her create. It's her vision. I didn't create it for her. What I helped her do is make it real. You know, I asked her questions. What would it look like when you're on stage? What would it feel like if you won? And then I helped her experience those emotions and feelings where you're actually seeing, I mean, I have clients, they're watching their vision and it's so real. There's tears running down their face. They're experiencing it as if it's already happened. And that's what we're looking for. Because your subconscious mind does not distinguish between what's real and not real. You're almost then hypnotizing yourself. <laughs> uh, interesting. No, because if you're sort of breathing, living, and simulating mm -hmm. a, a scenario, you're sort of recreating in your mind what it's going to look like. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is so much repetition. That is, in a way, self-hypnosis. Of course it is self-hypnosis. Absolutely. You're, you're inducing yourself and making your vision a reality. In your book, I read that you first have to accept yourself. Yes. Right. You have to accept yourself. Isn't that a painful experience? Um, because obviously all your limitations and... and, and um, you have to lay out bare what you've been through, who you are, what you're capable of doing. Yes. Um, to be honest with yourself, some people are not prepared to do that. You have to be. Um, you know, to become awake and aware of what's going on inside of your head mm -hmm. is the most important thing you have. If you're not awake and aware of what you're doing, how could you change it? Once you become awake and aware of your thoughts, your feelings, then you get conscious choice back, and you can make a decision. Now, you may make a decision not to change it, but you have the choice then. If you don't know what you have to change, you can't change it. So if you were to use me as an example, if I was to go into a room and, and sit down and be awake and aware, do I need to take pen and paper and write down, well, what's my mission? So as a result, I need to know where I am right now in order to know how far to get to, to be I who I want to be. I think it's an excellent exercise for somebody to sit down and take an inventory of what they do really well, what they need to change, mm -hmm. and what their weaknesses are, honestly. And you can make your weaknesses your strength, and you can strengthen your strength. And give me an example when you say, give me an example where you say you make your weakness a strength. Okay. When I was real heavy, and of course I blamed everybody else for my mistakes and my problems, mm -hmm. taking ownership of the fact that I didn't want to be responsible allowed me to change that. And going from not accepting responsibility for my actions and my feelings, it allowed me to change that and, and to take ownership of that and to start changing that and saying, okay, they're my feelings. I'm the result of the consequences of my actions, 
Now I'm going to change my act, action. You know, becoming aware and awake of who you are and what you are allows you to change it. So your your weaknesses can now become your strength. You know, it's no different in a sport. If you're a baseball player and you're not a good hitter, you practice your hitting more to be, make that weakness your strength, and you practice it until it becomes strong. No different. If you know that it's hard for you to accept responsibility for your actions, you have to purposefully work on accepting responsibilities when you make a mistake. And it's just like anything else. You're training your mind to think that way. Now, in order to be who we want to be and to make our vision a reality, do we need to find that aha moment where it defines the time to change? I don't know. Um, you know, some people are more self-aware than others. I mean, I had to have my aha moment. I, you know, I work with people. They don't have their aha moments. What they have, it, um, and maybe it is an aha moment for them. Maybe it's just not a big one. But they realize that if they want to do something different, they have to be different. And you can't keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting something different to happen. That's the definition of insanity. So You see, people keep uh, going on, on diets. So it well, seems to be stop to be and stop. Doing that. We seem to be doing that, don't we? I mean, almost everybody fails at them, but we keep coming up with new and better ones that don't do any newer, anything new or anything better. No, they don't. No. And the reason it don't work is we look at diet and exercise as the keys. They're tools. They're important tools, no question but they're not the answer. The answer is changing the pictures in your head. And once you change the pictures in your head, those tools of eating properly and getting good exercise make sense. What are yeah, the I pictures? Mean, what are the pictures people are having now as opposed to what you would recommend they should have? Well, what's happening is you're, if you've been heavy, I'll, give my, I'll use myself as an example. I was heavy my whole life. Heavy became safe. I didn't have to try new things. I had an excuse. So heavy became a good thing. Mm. Heavy became a very good thing. So now when I want to lose weight and when I would force myself to lose weight, now I was taking away that barrier. It was like somebody drilling a hole in my tooth and finding a brand new nerve and start poking at it. It would hurt. I would feel exposed to the world. I would feel upset. Sometimes it's something else. I can give you a good example. It can be something so simple as a child falling down, scraping their knee, their mother kisses it and makes it feel better, and then she hands them a cookie. And every time they get a, a boo-boo, mommy kisses it, makes it better, hands them something to eat. One day, child falls down, mommy's not around, they eat a cookie, and all of a sudden they feel better. They feel their mother's love. So we start to anchor the feelings of love with food, and then we have a problem with it. You have to separate those things. Mm -hmm. Most people don't realize this, but you know what? In the mornings when we, when, when we also get up, we start feeling or thinking negative thoughts or angry or sad, you know, like, oh, it's a Monday, things like that. How do you, how do you overcome that? Well, one, human beings don't always have great days. I can tell you that every day in my life, I don't get up out of bed with a bright smile on my face. Mm. I still do my daily routine. I mean, my daily routine now is so automatic. It's so different than me brushing my teeth when I get up in the morning. I just do it. And that's my perspective, is I've done it enough times that I just do it. And I know that my day will be better because I've done it. What I have all my clients do is at the end of each day, I have them find five things they're thankful for that day. And it forces them to, to no matter how bad of a day they think they're having, they have to find something good about it. And they're training their mind to find good things. You know, I could take you through the same day of your life twice. One day. You get up out of bed and you're happy 
what, everything's wonderful, you feel rested, and you go through your day, and then I have you write a paragraph about your day at the end of the day. Then I run you through the exact same day again, the exact same things happen. I said, you got out of bed, you got a headache, you're cranky, you didn't sleep good, and I have you write a paragraph at the end of that day. And if I read those two paragraphs, they'll look like two totally different days because all the difference was, was your perspective on how you viewed the world. Now, when your clients have failed you, what is the what main you, reason? What do you mean by that? Well, if they've come to you say, you know what, I want to achieve this particular way or state, mm -hmm. and they haven't been able to achieve it, what's usually the main reason? They don't well, want it badly only, enough? There's only one reason. Hmm. Um, when someone comes to me and they don't accomplish what they want to accomplish, it's because they stopped doing their daily routine. It's always my first question. Are you still writing in your journal? Are you still listening to the recording? And their answer will be, no, I stopped. Because they did it for a short period of time. Mm -hmm. They didn't get the instant gratification they wanted, and they stopped doing it, which is their subconscious mind saying we don't really want to do this. It's repetition over and over that brings people to death. It just is. I mean, if you look at a professional athlete, a baseball player can hit a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, not because he did it one time, but because he's done it thousands and thousands and thousands of times, and it's an automatic process. Now, have you okay. had clients who've come to you for medical reasons? Can you give yeah. us a story on that? Um, I had a client come to me. Uh, he came to me, was diagnosed with prostate cancer, and his goal was he wanted to have, make sure he had the expectation that he was going to be healthy. Mm -hmm. He wanted to see himself being healthy. Um, and he wanted to be able to do all the things that he did before, and he also wanted to make sure that his recovery was easy and fast and that he never had it again. And I worked with him. He had a great attitude. He, he was a great guy to work with. And then um, the day before he was having his surgery, he came to my office, and I did a session with him. And what I did is I got him ready for his surgery. So the re our session was, and I recorded for him, is that he could be able to control his vital signs and speed up his recovery process. So on a Friday, he has his surgery. Surgery goes perfectly. He has to spend one night in the hospital. It's overnight on a weekend on a Friday night. And about 1 o'clock in the morning, somebody made a mistake. Somebody gave him a lethal dose of heparin, which is a blood thinner. And when I say a lethal dose, they gave him enough to kill him. He started hemorrhaging. He was bleeding from his incisions inside and outside. His, blood, his bed was soaked with blood. His blood pressure dropped to near fatal levels. And now they're trying to find a surgeon on call to operate on him, and the surgeon's in surgery with another emergency surgery. So now they have a problem. And in a moment of clarity, he had my recording on his iPhone. He had his wife put the earphones on, and he started listening to it. And what he was able to do, he was able to, in 15 minutes, he was able to raise his blood pressure, and he stopped his internal bleeding. Two hours later, they were able to operate on him. And when they cut him open, all his internal bleeding had stopped. You could see where the blood had clotted, and there was no internal bleeding. They don't know why he's alive, and he says because he was able to he was able to control with his mind his ability to stop bleeding. He stopped his blood, and he was able, able to raise his blood pressure. That's a powerful story about your mind. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Now, going back to your how you started all this, because you're really preaching from experience. Mm-hmm. I am. Fear and low esteem drove you to change. Yes. Is that a primary, primary factor in, in, in most people's lives in order to drive them to change? 
for some people, and I think some people like change. Like now, I, I don't I don't need to get to a low level of my life to make a change in my life. What I realize is that I want something, and in order for me to get that something, I have to change something. Hmm. So no, I don't think it's necessary for everybody to get to a low point in their life to change. For some people, yeah, they do, but not for everybody, no. Do you think we're in, in, in modern day society, are we torturing ourselves with this whole concept of I want to be another person, whether it's to lose weight, become a better professional, or become someone different. Is, is that adding more stress? Because in a way, we're not really accepting who we are right now. Well, and actually, one of your key components is to accept yourself. I don't agree. I don't like When I create a vision mm. of who I am and being 175 pounds, I still have some of the same values and qualities that make me who I am. I accept myself. In fact, in order for me to change, I had to accept responsibility that I was responsible for my negative opinions of myself, my anger and my frustration. That's acceptance. I had to accept that about myself. The problem I had before is I wasn't accepting of that myself, and it was easy for me to pass the buck. We live in a world now where people don't want to be responsible for their actions. And until they accept responsibilities for their actions, how are they ever going to change? And is that what the first obstacle you get in a lot of clients who come to you? They're always looking to blame someone else? Um, the first obstacle, um, sometimes it is, mm. not always. Um, some people are, you know, I'll get people that come to me that weigh 400 pounds, and I ask them what they ate today, and if they ate only what they ate, but they told me they ate, then they wouldn't be happy. But their mind is it's not so much they're lying, but they're blocking out. Because if they, if they were really consciously aware of what they ate, they would scare the hell out of themselves and they probably wouldn't do it. Now, you've taken this whole concept of, I guess, self-improvement into various other categories. It's just not weight. You also help people improve uh, on the corporate level, sales and things like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, Athletes yeah, well, and salespeople. Salespeople, business executives. Um, I work with the Dress for Success organization, which helps women get back in, into the workplace. And some of them come from really negative upbringings where they were told they were worthless, they were beaten, they were abused. And I work with them to help create self-worth and a vision that they are worthy of the success they're going to have so they can accept success in their life and live the life they want to live. Because until they can get rid of that old picture they have of themselves of not being worthy of anything good in their life, mm -hmm. it's very hard for them. Now you use a BAGUBA method. Uh, my BAGUBA method is, BAGUBA is an acronym, acronym which stands for Brutally Aggressive Guy or Gal Uninhibited by Adversity. And it actually came from um, um, a junior high school wrestling coach who used to give those T-shirts out for the hardest working wrestler. And, I, and the name is always stuck in my head. And I use that acronym for what I when I work with, especially with youth athletes, mm -hmm. and helping them through, through, uh, improve their performance. So, what's the method? Well, it's the method I it's, it's the method I use for everything else. Um, I just put an acronym to it because it's interesting, and um, especially for for youth athletes, mm -hmm. it's exciting for them. They they have an acronym they can associate with themselves. And what are the main issues that business executives come to you for? Um, a lot of business executives and sales executives come to me for, well, they're really the same thing. They're at an income level and they're stuck. They can't make any more money. Or they have huge, huge rises in income and then they crash. And then they start the cycle over again. And in both businesses, they're pretty much the same. 
um, they have a barometer or they have a thermometer in their head that says, I'm only worth this. And maybe they grew up in an environment where they didn't have a lot, so they heard things from their parents like, well, money is the root of all evil, and that people that make a lot of money are bad, and we have enough. We don't need any more. So now you get a, a sales executive who starts to make a good income, and whatever that income is in their mind is different for each of them. And all of a sudden, a little voice in their head says, well, what are you doing? You're you know, sometimes I will, uh, the, the challenge I find with this process is it acts in isolation alone. As in, it's just about working on me. I could be, yeah. or there could be a great executive who's surrounded right. by a bunch of naysayers. Right. And why do you think you're attracting the naysayers in your life? It's not about being attracted. They're already there. If you're in the boardroom, you'll be invited. You, you, you have your mm -hmm. weekly, monthly meeting. Mm -hmm. See, I don't agree with that. I agree that we... If you look at the people around you, mm -hmm. they're in your, your life for a reason, whether it's work, in your personal life. You're either attracting, you're, attract, you're a magnet for whatever you're putting out into the world. And if you're putting out a negative vibe, you're going to get that, whether it's the people you work with. You know, maybe for an executive to move on to the next level, they have to switch companies. Maybe they don't. Maybe they need to change some of the personnel they have around them. But I, I believe that the people you surround yourself with are there for a reason. Sometimes you don't have a choice about surrounding yourself. They're already there. Then you have a choice of whether that you can make that you can change the energy of that environment, or mm -hmm. you have to change the environment you're working in. So adopt more of a leadership role. So, you know, if you're an executive or you're a sales professional and you have a big vision, your vision may not take you where you want to be with the company you're with. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'll change and you'll adapt and there'll be another opportunity that you have to take to make it a reality. Now you're writing a new book, right? I am writing a new book. What's it called? The book is called Yes, Creating and Living the Life of Your Dreams. And how is it different from the other one? Well, it's, it's, it's going to be a small book. I like small books. I think people will read small books. It'll be about 100 pages long. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about creating vision so it's it, 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 you'll be able to go through a process of creating vision and establishing a daily routine to, to make that vision a reality so something very similar to what we talked about earlier exactly how to create that vision because that's very important i think it's everything because like i said you know um just saying you want to be rich is not enough no because if you make a dollar more than you made last year you've achieved it So, and when's it going to be out? I am shooting for the end of this year. Because in your last book, you had quite a few authors. You had Deepak Chopra, Jack Canfield, and a few yeah. other authors. Mm -hmm. yeah, quite How did you get chosen? Because um, you're in the presence of great company. I went on a nationwide search, and they look for people with interesting stories that might be motivational and inspiring to people, and I was one of them. Where did they find you, though? Um... That's a good question. I guess they must have found some of the work I'm doing. I mean, there's plenty of stuff on the Internet about me, so I guess they found me through that. Oh, excellent. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, Scott. Thank you. Wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Your comments and your followers are so very welcome on my Twitter account at VipJazzwell and my Facebook page. Just type in the VipJazzwell report. 
A special shout-out of thanks to my wonderful team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. I'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern. And until then, I wish you a wonderful evening tonight with your loved ones and a productive and a happy week ahead. From great suffering came a solution. Communities. Serene, beautiful places where disorder became harmony. In a world where God, free will, and love were outlawed. Our people chose to do away with emotions. Those morning injections take them away. One person would learn the truth. Hello, my name. I know who you are. Who are you? The giver. When the elders need guidance, I provide wisdom using memories of the past. Secrets would be revealed. The way things look and the way things are are very different. The young and the old are killed. For the good of all of us. They haven't eliminated murder. They just called by a different name. To save his world and the child who held the future, he had to risk his life. You can stop this. You can change things. Jonas has become dangerous. To restore what had been lost. Love comes faith. Based on the worldwide best-selling book, Meryl Streep, Jeff Bridges, The Giver. Rated PG-13. Parents strongly cautioned. In theaters August 15th. More information at Walden.com.